Around the Rock is brought to you by the Score Bet. With easy to use navigation and a simple registration process, placing a bet, depositing, and withdrawing your winnings has never been easier. Download now on iOS and Android. Available in Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, and New Jersey. Must be 21 plus. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, contact 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, and 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. Visit thescore.bet for more details. Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Score's NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo. I am joined remotely, as always, by fellow co-host Joe Wolfon. What's up, man? Uh, a rare night recording session for us. Yeah. I've uh, I've got a glass of white wine here, replacing buddy, my customary coffee. Buddy, so there you go. <laughs> I was I was just about to say that the nighttime kind of off off work hours recording. Well, I mean, we're doing this, so it's technically work hours. But the off-peak hours recording means instead of coffee or larynx lubricating honey water, we're both going with the vino tonight. So yeah, man, it's uh, yeah, it's a nice change of pace, you know, a little NBA after dark. Yeah, uh, we we decided to record this late because we wanted to to watch this hotly anticipated Bucks Warriors game before getting down to the nitty gritty, but. Uh, didn't turn out to be much of a contest. That's actually why we both need a drink because we watched that game. <laughs> I mean, I I turned it off after the half. I'll be honest. I mean, the, it was a forty point game by halftime. So yeah, pretty uh, pretty impressive showing from the Bucks. Uh, yeah. Turns out Draymond might be kind of important to that Warriors defense. They didn't really have uh, any kind of an answer for Giannis uh, without him. So that was pretty much all she wrote. That game was over before it started. Yep. And. Um, I don't. We're not going to delve too much into that, right? But because uh, I think we're going to talk about the Bucks in depth next week. Correct. But I will just say I think Giannis is probably the MVP front runner right now. It's been happening all season, but especially in that game tonight, his passing is like really leveled up, eh? And like the kind of no look dimes that he's throwing. I mean, a lot of guys will throw or have thrown, you know, no look passes. Like Giannis has done it in the past but it's like those passes are darts and they are hitting guys right in the shooting pocket and he's just busting them out with regularity and it's not just in transition like I feel like he's always been a pretty good transition playmaker but like he's making those kind of passes in the half court now and it's just it's pretty wild how well he's playing. I feel like he's he's got to be the front runner at this point. What do you think? Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, I, I wrote earlier this year, or no, I didn't write about it. Actually, I put it in a video for Unfiltered about how I thought early in the season, Jokic was actually still the most valuable player in the league. You know, Steph was off to this great start and he was the best player on what was by far the best team. But I thought early in the year, Jokic was the definition of value. I think even if you go by like on off net, he's still number one by a mile. But I would agree with you. I think right now, if if the award was here at the seat, at the halfway point, I think Giannis would be the deserved winner. But I do think Jokic yeah. would still be closer to him than most people realize. It's just one hundred percent. You know, people won't give him that vote. A combination yeah. of because the Nuggets are where they are in the standings, and because he won it last. Like to repeat, I feel like and get the vote two years in a row, you really get to do something out of this world. In my opinion, he's kind of doing that. But people will look at the standings and you know not. They won't put enough nuance into it to realize like. Yeah. Well, if you go by the way they're performing when he's on the court, they actually are playing like an elite team. He can't you can't hold it against them that his team performs like a second division Turkish squad when 
he's not on the court, <laughs> you know, or that his like second and third best teammates or second and fourth best teammates, whatever you want to call them, are out. And yeah, I, I think a hundred percent. I personally would put him pretty much right there, like on the same level, neck and neck with Giannis. But I do think just knowing voter behavior, right. like th- that record will definitely get held against him. And it is a shame because he's operating with like zero functional guards. I mean, Monty Morris, I guess is pretty good, but I, that, that Clippers game where they blew that 25 point lead, they had uh, Monty Morris was the only guard on that team that hit a field goal in that game. They had, uh, it was, uh, I think Compazzo rivers, Bones Highland and Devon Reed combined to play 78 minutes and not hit one field goal. They combined to go over 17 from the field. Dude, Jokic, Gordon, and and Morris in that game combined to go something like, um, I think it was like 40 of 81, basically like right around 50%. And the rest of the team, there was like eight other guys combined to go something like seven of 32. Um, as a team, they went four of 33 from deep. Like that, that game was just a nightmare for the Nuggets. Yeah. Anyway, point being, like yeah. Jokic is still utterly transcendent. He's been so good this year, and that record shouldn't be held against him in my mind. But I think that it will be, and for that reason, I think. I mean, it's the halfway point, and I actually typically rarely like to have these kind of conversations. But I just thought it for mentioning, especially after that game tonight, that Giannis is very much playing like the best player in the world right now. This is the wolf on after dark. No rules. <laughs> no rules. All right, let's get to the topics at hand today that we planned to talk about on this podcast we're gonna spend i think the majority not i think i know the majority of today's pod talking about the hawks we're gonna talk about the reddish trade but also use that as kind of a launching point into all that has gone wrong with the hawks this year how they've lost their way but before we do that we have to talk about the fact that damian lillard who a few weeks ago we were actually mentioning you know whether He'd be shut down at some point because of this abdominal injury that has clearly hampered him throughout the year, whether he's been in the lineup or not. He has now undergone surgery that the Blazers are saying will keep him out a minimum of five to six weeks. As we were discussing off air before we started recording here, we would not be surprised if that is extended and eventually he's just shut down for the season. I don't want to be a sensationalist alarmist here and be like, well, the Blazers season's already over, but for all intents and purposes, come on, the the Blazers season's already over. I think they are currently 10th in the West right now and in a play-in spot, but they're 16 and 24. Uh, they're not going to have Dame now for another five to six weeks. You've got to figure they're going to drop at least a couple spots. And like, you know, even if he were to come back in a month and a half, they might still technically be in the play-in race because it legitimately looks like you might be able to get that last play-in spot at like 34 and 48, 35 and 47. But I don't think that that would be reason enough for them to bring Dame back to get into the play, like to get shellacked in a play-in game, most likely, you know, not even make the playoffs proper and muddle with what could be good lottery positioning for a team that desperately needs some sort of influx of whether you call it young talent, draft capital, asset capital in general. I mean, I've gone on how many rants over the last year about how they, for me, the reason they got to make a huge trade and go to the bottom isn't just because that's what you should do and you're not good enough, but it's because they have no options to get better, really. That could change if this season fully goes into the toilet and they get some lottery luck. All that said, I think this might be the last we've seen of Dame this season. What are your thoughts on that? Dame's season in general, where the Blazers are right now, all of that. 
Yeah, I think it'll just be up to Dame, right? Like if Dame says he wants to come back and play, I feel like the franchise will probably acquiesce to him. That's just sort of where that franchise is at with him. And so I guess it's going to be up to him to decide, like to look at the situation and be like, what's really going to make sense for me to do here? And probably how the team fares over this next five or six week stretch is is going to determine whether he decides it's worthwhile or not. Because if they are still within spitting distance of a playing spot, I feel like he'll probably want to come back and give it a go. Like, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't blame him for that. Like players don't think like front offices, like they're going to want to compete. Like he's going to want to try and get into the playoffs and that's totally fine. I think obviously it would be best probably like for the team if they did just shut him down. But I, I just think that's kind of dependent on a lot of different things. I mean, one, one thing I guess that's going to maybe play a part in that decision or just in like how this Blazers season goes is like, the trade deadline is going to get here before Dame is ready to get back on the floor. Dude, and the so trade deadline's literally decide. in like four weeks. Yeah, yeah. So, so they've got Nurkic and Covington both on expiring contracts, right? And I think if the idea is we're going to try and ride this out, we're going to like get Dame back healthy, and then we're going to make a push for a playing spot. Obviously, they're probably going to keep those guys around, but. If not, like, I think they could actually get real stuff for them. And and maybe they want to hang on to, to Nurkic anyway because they want to keep him beyond this season. But I think definitely it makes sense to trade Covington because I, I just, I, I don't know. I don't know that he's a long-term fit there. Like, I don't, I think they'd have real suitors for him too. So I think that's going to be maybe the first inflection point. And if the offers are there and it makes sense for them to to be a seller, then that probably changes the calculus a bit uh, when it comes to like what Dame decides to do or what the team decides to do with Dame. But this could prove to be a blessing in disguise for them. You know, uh, I think you hope eventually this surgery really helps Dame get back to being Dame because he did not look like himself at all this season. Like not really at any point in time. And maybe they get a high lottery pick um, and, and it turns into something of an opportunity, you know, especially if they can get real stuff for Covington and Nurkic, because otherwise, like you said, if Dame comes back healthy, like they, they're probably like chasing a play in spot because they feel like they owe it to Dame to be as competitive as they can be. Um, and I just don't think that's really going to benefit them long term. Also, a side note to that, like th- this idea uh, I don't know if you saw Jake Fisher at Bleacher Report, like his report about the Clippers sort of thinking of doing the same thing with with PG and Kawhi. What? Because apparently, apparently PG, like, th- this was according to Jake Fisher's report. Apparently he might not be back this season, which is... Well, um, that's quite a stark contrast to Chris Haynes last week on NBA on TNT saying that, you know, there's now renewed optimism. Kawhi will be back sooner than expected. So could it be that they actually get Kawhi back, but act, but don't get PG this year? Like, what's going on? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I wonder, like, I don't know that the, the timing of those two reports is a coincidence necessarily. Right. I don't know where they're coming from or who's leaking that stuff. But if, I think, again, like, those two things are probably connected, right? Like, if the PG injury isn't healing the way that they had hoped, like, he tore his UCL, right? Like, that's... The injury where if you're a pitcher, you go and get Tommy John surgery, but not an injury you want to mess around with or treat lightly, especially like 
actually don't know. Is it his shooting elbow? Like that probably would have some impact, but basically it, it seems like maybe they're trying to rehab it rather than having him go on yeah, his knife. right elbow. Yeah. And so, yeah, if it's, if it's not going well and they need to shut him down, then I think Kawhi's not coming back. Right. Like why would he? Um, so I think those two things are connected, but, but I only brought it up because I think that kind of puts them and the Blazers in a sort of similar situation. And in that Jake Fisher report, it was quoting like someone, I don't know, someone within the, the Clippers front office or someone like adjacent to the Clippers front office saying that they wanted to mimic like the Warriors blueprint, the, the gap year. And I, I just, <laughs> it's funny to cite the Warriors, don't you think? Because the Warriors down year had literally zero bearing yeah. on the success that they're enjoying right, right. now, right? Like, like James Wiseman was actively destructive as a rookie and literally hasn't played a single minute yeah. this season. And so. for the record, I'm still a big James. I, I, I believe in James Wiseman's upside. But yes, you, I, I agree with what you're saying. This is no, that, like that is not the barometer to use for the down year resulting in your success. Like, yeah, and it's not, you know, that's not to say that that's not the right idea for either of those teams or that James Wiseman won't ultimately help the Warriors either as a trade chip or just like a guy who blossoms into like a, a cornerstone for them. But I just thought that was funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's not what has yeah. led the Warriors to like this great rebound where they've come back with a vengeance. Um, but yeah, I think uh, again, um, but between Dame getting some much needed time off uh, and seemingly a much needed surgery and then potentially getting back to the Dame we saw playing maybe the best ball of his career in the second half of last season, between that and a chance for the Blazers to maybe do a quick retool to improve their future outlook, like you mentioned, you know, maybe they don't have to make a big trade in order to like tank and get a high pick. Like maybe they can just do it anyway. Um, I, I do think that this could be an opportunity for Portland um, and work out actually pretty well for them. I mentioned 16 and 24. We we mentioned at the beginning, we're recording this on Thursday night rather than Friday morning. They're currently down 18 to the Nuggets right now. That will most likely be 16 and 25 by the time you, yeah. uh, our listener, are hearing this. And they Dude, might... uh, the, the Pelicans are getting that last play in spot. Okay, so that, that, that's where I wanted to go next before we take the break and before we get to the Hawks and trade stuff that we're going to talk about. If the Blazers fall out of the mix, which we both anticipate they will, that leaves, oh man, these teams are all bad, but that leaves Sacramento, New Orleans, and San Antonio fighting for that 10th spot. And that's assuming the Timberwolves and you know some variation of the Clippers remains in this, those spots, which I think they will. So you're looking at Sacramento, New Orleans, San Antonio. You're picking the Pelicans to take that spot. Yeah, I think so. I mean, maybe not if Zion never comes back, but I think if he's back at any point, then they have the inside track. Uh, and I mean, maybe it depends on what the Kings do with the deadline because it seems like they're in win-now mode. Like, they need to end this playoff drought even like i don't know if would they count making the play in they as better ending the no. playoff drought like officially it would not count officially right. by league record it would not but, count but you know that's not what i'm asking right uh, <laughs> internally 100 percent, they will hang a play-in banner <laughs> in sacramento and call it so now here's what they could do they could say they've ended their postseason drought they haven't ended their playoff drought but mm. technically, the way I look at it is like if you make the plane, you've made like the postseason in some format. You know what I mean? Like 
you're playing in games that other teams didn't qualify for, but you haven't made the playoffs. So I, I would not be surprised as much as we're joking about this and no, there won't be a banner hanging. I would not be surprised if in like, you know, like team marketing, uh, trying to sell tickets, all that stuff, Vivek Ranadive just being Vivek Ranadive under the umbrella of all those things. I would not be surprised in the least if the Kings consider it as like, well, we ended our postseason drought and, and talk about it like that. Yeah, you're allowed to continue calling it a playoff drought, but don't you dare call yeah. it a postseason drought. I will not that stand for it on Pound the Rock, and especially not when we record after dusk. <laughs> no. Interesting, just like thinking about that. Okay, so let's say the Clippers did want to like just shut PG down. Kawhi doesn't come back. They want to do this the Warriors gap year thing. It's going to be hard for them to out-tank some of these teams, yeah. no? Dude, that's what I'm saying. The 10th place team might literally get in with 35 wins. Maybe 34 if you look at, like, okay, maybe the Pelicans get a little better. Even if Zion doesn't come back, to be honest with you, I could see the Pelicans get being a little better. They're actually starting to play decent ball. Ingram's playing well. But you're looking at needing 35-ish, maybe 36 or 37 wins. I don't even think it'll get that high to get 10th. The Clippers have been hovering around 500 all year. We talked about them earlier this week and, like, how feisty they've remained, it's going to be hard for them to completely fall off even without those guys. So that's why I'm Although, saying. I mean, yeah, so sorry. But like in conjunction with that, like if they were, I think part of the report was they were maybe going to have like a fire sale. Right, that's a good, to, yes. To help expedite that process. And as it is, like, yes, they're scrappy and they're kind of hanging in there, but their offense is so bad. It is, like, yeah. Uh, I, I don't think it would be that hard for them to maneuver it. And then, yeah, so then maybe you have like two teams who are out of that play-in bubble right now who wind up getting in. Maybe it's like the Pelicans and the Spurs are also getting in. Maybe yeah. the Kings do punch their ticket. Okay, how funny would it be if two spots do open up because the Clippers and Blazers go full-on into the tank and the Kings, and the Kings still, still don't get in? Oh, man. At that point, just full franchise, yeah. honestly. Honestly. I, you know what, actually? I do want to mention quickly. We'll do our usual like official fan shout-out later in the show, but because we're talking about the Kings... For anyone that didn't see, when the Lakers lost in Sacramento the other night and Russ had his 2 of 14 performance, whatever it was, and took those just terribly ill-advised threes late in the game. So apparently throughout the game, whenever he would miss, the Kings game ops would play cold as ice. And then on the Jumbotron at the end of the game, the spot usually reserved for um, whatever sponsorship, probably a beer or something, they call it like the ice cold player of the game, usually goes to the best King that night as a joke. The Kings put Russ on there as their ice cold player of the game. Obviously, it went viral on Twitter and stuff. I tweeted about it, multiple people. So I do want to shout them out. And I think we've actually given both of them shout outs before. If not, I apologize. But Johners at Johnny Likes on Twitter and uh, Nim at your boy Nimri on Twitter both tweeted me to say that KFC segment is going to be funny and candidate for the upcoming talking trash segment of the pod. So Nim and Johners, I just uh, wanted to give you guys quick unofficial shout outs there for waiting with bated breath for the next Talking Trash segment. As I mentioned to both of you on Twitter, that segment ended at the end of calendar year 2021, but I did promise you both in tweet replies that I would get to it simply because you guys brought it up. So though it's not the official fan shout out of the week, I did want to shout out Johners and Nim for seeing that and immediately thinking of Pound the Rock and thinking, we hope this is the talking trash segment this week. 
Yeah, and also I don't know if you saw, but the the Kings are uh, no longer allowed to taunt players in such a fashion, thanks to uh, an edict from the NBA office. What? <laughs> so I did not that, see this. Uh, now I'm mad. Yeah, they they talk too much trash apparently. What? And uh, and the league has cracked down. So oh, that is um, pathetic. Listen. If, yeah, they're, if, I, they, I if they're saying something like personal, that, that's always been my thing when it comes to trap, whether it's between players or fans, like whatever. There are lines you should not cross. We obviously know mm. that, especially from a fan perspective. But like, you're literally just trolling his basketball performance, nothing else. And if I might add, in a pretty funny and like unique and entertaining way, like, come on, NBA, that. Get out of here. That's, yeah, that's especially when it's especially when it's the Kings. You know, it's not like they're s- punching. It's not like they're punching down. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, let them have this. Oh, this is a, you better be careful. You might be getting an email from the NBA for that comment if they're going to be going on like this. Jeez, I didn't know the NBA was turning into the NFL or MLB or NHL overnight. Come on, come yeah, on, NBA. No, it's honestly sad. And and like, man, yeah, honestly, it, it's it's the Kings. They beat the Lakers. Like, I just. I think they should uh, they should be allowed to have that, and I don't think it was out of pocket either. Like I think no. even Russ acknowledged after the game that it was pretty funny. So yeah, he did. He made the comment of like, "Well, I hope they were doing that the last fourteen years." Essentially saying like, you know, because he's had some big games against the Kings too, and you know, he's even got a funny point there. Like, hope they were doing that the last fourteen years. I've been kicking their butt, but he did actually take it in stride, and it was pretty funny. I cannot believe the NBA actually made them stop. Jeez, who's um, who's running the NBA these days? Devin Booker. <laughs> Can't mascots can't try to distract players during free throws. Teams can't troll opposing players anymore. What's going on? What is this world coming to? Do you think uh, Devin Booker demanding that that the Raptors mascot move from behind the backboard while he's shooting that free throw was more or less lame than him throwing a hissy fit when he got double teamed in that pickup run in the summer that one time? Honestly, I think more lame because. First of all, I'll say that the Raptors should have hired Joakim Noah for one night only so that he could have been just like he was the one to tell Devin Booker in that summer run. This is part of the game when Devin Booker said, I'm trying to work on my game, whatever he said. Noah said, this is part of the game. We needed Noah in Toronto that night to say, this is part of the game. What are you doing, dude? Uh, But I think it was actually more lame because if you recall at the time, though, most of us were clowning him for the summer league or summer pickup runs, like no doubles thing. A lot of players did actually come to his defense and say they also don't like it in, in summer pickups and stuff because, yeah, wh- whatever they said. I thought it was lame anyway, regardless. But at least there seemed to be some sort of precedent there where like he could get away with it. There is no potential precedent for this. Like No one should be or can with a straight face come to his defense in this time. Again, he took it in stride after two. I thought it was funny. I'm not... You know, I, I love watching Devin Booker. I, I don't hold this against him in any way, but was it lame as hell? Yes. Yeah, unfortunately, playing with Chris Paul for a year and a half has turned him into a cop. But uh, I guess, look, despite not having the KFC sponsorship anymore, we did kind of get ourselves a little trash talk segment in here. So I'm happy for that. I'm happy for uh, Johners and Nim writing us in to, uh, to get us to talk about that. I also want to say to Nimrit uh, that... And I texted you about this cash too, because last week I was bemoaning the fact that we no longer had a talking trash segment because I, I really wanted to unpack Markeith Morris <laughs> calling Nikola Jokic a 300 pound sloppy fat boy. Um, uh, but uh, I mean, look, I 
Morris has a right to be mad. He literally hasn't played since yeah. Jokic absolutely annihilated. Maybe tr- don't try to break someone's rib though, and you don't have. To- I was gonna say, yeah, he kind of um, he was the instigator uh, in that affair, and I'm not saying he like deserved to whatever ha- like it was a spinal injury or a neck injury, like whatever like what whatever kind of whiplash he got from being trucked by that 300 pound sloppy fat boy. It's unfortunate, but I guess you reap what you sow. You absolutely do. All right, should we take the break, come back, talk Cam Reddish and the Hawks? I guess. (laughs) What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Scores Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our featured content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out The Score's YouTube page for an informative yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. All right, well, fun. Cam Reddish was traded to the New York Knicks today. This Hawks season is going down in flames, although, I mean, they were kind of in a similar spot at this point last year before getting absolutely hot. Uh, I don't think Nate McMillan's job is <laughs> on the line the way Lloyd Pierce's was at this point last year. But nevertheless, the Hawks are after that Eastern Conference Finals run. They are 17 and 23 at the moment on pace for 35 wins. They're three games back of the final play-in spot in the East. Six games back of six for the final playoffs proper spot. They have a bottom 10 record overall. They're bottom nine in point differential and 12th in the East in point differential. So it's also not like the results aren't matching either the eye test or the process. Like they deserve to be where they are in a lot of ways. They've had some injuries, but also like join the club, look around, and their man games loss are nowhere near the worst of it this year in the NBA. It's also tough to use that as an excuse when a team, a Heat team without Jimmy Butler or Bam Adebayo just absolutely throttled you on your home floor. A home floor, by the way, where the Hawks have lost nine straight games. Atlanta has not won a home game since November 22nd. Their defense, which last year was, okay, only 18th, but them being at least respectable in some ways, competitive, middle of the pack defensively, whatever you want to call it, was the big reason why people like myself started buying into them as a team that could be building for something really, really promising. Because with the offensive talent on that team, with Trey Young, like if you can just have a respectable defense, you're on your way. And what was so encouraging last year was that they were able to construct multiple different good defensive looks even with Trey Young on the floor that has all gone into the absolute tank this year they're 28th defensively that's where they stand and then today another kind of domino falls as they traded Cam Reddish 10th overall pick in 2019 along with Solomon Hill and a 2025 second round pick to the Knicks for Kevin Knox and a protected 2022 first rounder Reddish reunites with former Duke teammate RJ Barrett in New York that has people talking about the Knicks eventually making a play for Zion, yada, yada, yada. Wolfon, talk to me. What are your thoughts and imme- like your immediate thoughts upon hearing all of that? And, and everything? do you want to talk Reddish alone first and, and the deal? Do you want to talk Hawks in general? What you, I don't think you were ever high on this Hawks team, right? Or maybe you were, I mean, I feel like we were both in agreement. They were in at least the upper tier of the East. Like they were, they should have been one of the surefire playoff proper teams at the very least. Yeah, like I didn't think that they were going to make it back to the conference finals this year, but I had them finishing like fifth in the East. I thought they were a good team. I mean, their their depth to me was like a real strong point for them. I looked at that team and was like, 
man, they, they kind of go like 10, 11 deep. Obviously, you know, they have the star talent at the top of the roster. Like they're coming off this run. I, yeah, I, I thought they would be obviously a lot better than they've been. It, really, this is like pretty much exactly what I thought they were going to look like last year. When you may recall one of my preseason predictions that like I absolutely took a huge L on last year uh, was that I thought they weren't actually going to be that good. I had them missing the playoffs. And it was because I just thought they were going to be terrible defensively. Uh, and and they managed to make it work last year. And that this season is no longer the case. So it's sort of hard to put my finger on like what exactly has changed. Like I think Capella is a big one. Um, he, he just hasn't been the same rim protecting force that he was last year. But I also don't think like, I don't think Capella has been like abjectly bad. It's kind of just, I don't know. Like it feels like a little bit like everyone on that roster has sort of taken a step back defensively this season. And, and Reddish is a big part of that too. Yeah. I mean, like I, I honestly thought Reddish's defense was overrated to begin with, which is something we can talk about, but, but I did think he made positive stride. That's what I'm saying. Like I thought he, he kind of was in a lot of ways, the poster boy, him and Collins actually for last year's defensive Mm -hmm. shocking result was that like, I thought he made strides on that end. And that was so much part of the promise for him and the team. And like most of the, you know, underwhelming defenders who made progress last year, it's all been erased this year. Like, those guys have gone back to being the terrible defensive players we thought they were. Yeah. I mean, I do wonder how much of it was just Capella playing at an insane level and just cleaning up a lot of messes. Like I, I I don't know. I would have to like go back to some of my notes from last season to, to try and figure out like what they were doing that they're not doing this year. I mean, one thing that, uh, you know, a, a number of people have pointed out is their transition defense just sucks. Like they, have a really hard time getting matched up. They don't pick up shooters in transition. There's like a real lack of urgency, I feel like, to the way that they get back. And then it, because their transition defense is so bad, it just feels like every time their offense goes into a funk, it turns into an avalanche. Like that was exactly what happened to them in that game against Miami the other night where it was like a tight game for the first half. And then the Heat just utterly blitzed them to start the third and it was game over. And And like... Obviously, Trey has never been a good defender. I don't know that he was necessarily any worse last year than he's been this year, but it does feel more stark. And maybe it's just because like the Hawks haven't done as good a job protecting him this year. But man, does he get vaporized on screens? I mean, like there are guys who struggle to get through screens or who take bad routes going over screens. Like John Morant, I feel like is a good example of that. Who's just like not at this point, a very good screen navigator. But Trey just gets wiped out like a bug on a windshield. And I I do think that puts a lot of strain, obviously, on all the guys around him. But in the playoffs last year, I thought they did a a very good job of protecting him. And this year, it's like, I don't know. They're not... I feel like they're not doing a lot of pre-switching to keep him out of actions like they haven't been good at resetting when they have him show and recover to to keep him out of unfavorable switches like they do that and then they just like get put in rotation and when they get put in rotation like their rotations are always very slow they get burned by pick and pops because you know guys like Gallinari even Collins like Collins to a lesser extent I, I do think he's taken a step back defensively from where he was at last year but like I don't know I just feel like they're, they're just like slow to get out and contest 
it just all comes together to leave you like it very much lines up with the eye test, I will say. Unlike Brooklyn, for example, you watch them and they don't look like a good defensive team, but they somehow have like maintained a top 10 defensive rating all season. Uh, the Hawks, you watch them and they look like a bad defensive team and like the, the stats back it up, like they're a bad defensive team. So so yeah, that's obviously been the big thing because they're fifth in offensive rating. You can't really ask for much more than what they've gotten offensively. You can't uh, ask for much more offensively out of Trey Young either. He's been insane offensively. I know. Like, I know. It's... I mean, I guess like that you could point to the fact that they still haven't figured out how to like run offense with him off the floor. Like somehow that issue uh, still persists in spite of the fact that they went out and got like all this offensive talent. You know, they got Bogdanovich, they got Gallinari, like they gave Herder this big contract. Like they still, Trey comes off the floor and it's just you know, DeLon Wright is super passive and indecisive. Herder just like doesn't really have that type of off the dribble juice. So they really don't penetrate at all. Like they barely get to the rim when Trey's not on the floor. They just kind of pass the ball around the perimeter and wind up like jacking up semi-contested threes. Like that's kind of what their offense looks like when he's not out there. And it is so like heliocentric, like so structured around him, you know, like the the high pick and roll, the double drag action, like that is just so elemental to, to what they run that I guess it makes sense when he's not out there, they don't really know what to do. But again, like they're still fifth overall in offense, so they should be better than they are. They just like the, the defense is completely pulling them down. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's that's just sort of where I'm at with the Hawks. Like it's been a pretty uninspiring watch. Um and, you know, you had Travis Schlenk like go, going on the radio, basically saying that it was a mistake to bring everybody back, saying he didn't do enough to put a winning team on the floor. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess he put his money where his mouth was in, in trading Cam Reddish. You mentioned like Capella not being the same as a big reason why the defense hasn't held up. I agree with that. But I also think John Collins was a visibly better defender last year than he had ever been in his career. He does not look like that guy last this year. Same with Reddish. I don't think all of that can be put on Capella. A component not enough people are talking about is that DeAndre Hunter missed eight weeks again. The guy just can't stay healthy. And like, I think it's... But he was out. He was out when they made that run last year. I know. I know he was. But like, I still think if you're talking about this team's like defensive ceiling, Capella and Hunter to me are the two most important guys to that. And it's not close. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, like when they made that run last year, he was out the majority of it. But if some of that was smoke and mirrors... I think getting him back and having him healthy would have helped protect them against the regression that comes with it. He just came back in the after eight weeks out in that game against Miami where they just looked awful. I will say Okongwu is legit. Like I yep. think that's, you know, maybe it's not going to make a difference for them this season, but like looking toward the future, I think that he can be something like a defensive linchpin for them because he moves his feet really well on the perimeter he's like a little bit short, I guess, for a center, but he kind of makes up for it with his length and his vertical athleticism. So like he can protect the rim. And so I think he's just like a a pretty versatile defender who can do a lot for them and like has the schematic flexibility to execute like whatever it is they feel like they need to run in order to, to protect the weaker defenders on the roster. So I'm excited to see like him develop and see what they do with him because I do think he's really good and he basically didn't get a rookie season last year and it's he's finally starting to get some run now and I think he's actually like he's a piece. Yeah. 
yeah, it might like it, it just might be too late uh, for it to matter this season. I mean, maybe not. Like, the, obviously, the Hawks could still, you know, find their way. I, I don't think they're going to make it into the top six, but like they could definitely find their way into the play in and from there into the playoffs proper. But like beyond that, I, I don't think you can expect too much from the rest of the season for them. Before we can kind of dive into the Reddish trade itself, should also mention. There were recent reports. Shams reported that John Collins is frustrated with his role. John Collins in a post- what else is new? Right. John Collins in a, a post game um, scrum earlier this week or last week talked about he's so frustrated. You know, he just wants to bang his head against the wall and talked about the the Hawks' effort and results this season is unacceptable. Then the Shams report comes out. Then Collins did a Q and A with the Athletics Chris Kirshner where he kind of takes issue with the Shams report that said he was frustrated with his role and was linking into trade rumors. and But in the piece with Kirshner also kind of admits that he's frustrated with his role. But the way he frames it in that Q&A is that it's not that he wants more touches or more shots. I can find the exact quote here, actually. I'm not sitting here complaining and saying I need more touches of the ball or I need to score more points or need more shots. I've never complained about that. All I've said specifically is if there's a way that I feel like is beneficial for everybody and not just myself, it's for us to be, for all of us to be used in the correct way. That's the angle I'm taking. If I'm saying it, it's for us. I just want to be put in the best position to succeed and that's it. I feel like I've sacrificed and have continued to sacrifice as much as I can for the team. I just want to make sure that's clear. And then he also like talked about being I'm committed not, I'm to not complaining. I'm not complaining about my role. I'm just saying if I could have a bigger role, it would be better for me and <laughs> yeah. for the team. No, no. It's not the shots, man. It's not the shots or the point. It's the way he's being used. Well, I, don't, I don't really know what the hell how he wants to be used. Uh, look, Sean Collins, you got your money, man. You had a great year last year. I think you're, you're a really fine player. Like I think a lot of teams like to have you. Sean Collins is really, really, really good. I know, I know. And that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of teams, even at the money he's making now, would still like to trade for him probably. But let's be honest here. You're you're frustrated with your role. That's fine. I did want to mention that because I I don't think we could talk about the Hawks as much without addressing that elephant in the room that John Collins, who just signed the new contract after last year's big year, could already be on the move. Um, And do you have any other Collins things to mention or should we talk about the Reddish trade? Well, I mean, he was mentioned specifically in relation to the Sixers, right? Like that was, that was the context in which he was brought up as like a potential piece going back in a Ben Simmons trade, which is interesting. Like I kind of, I mean, Simmons could definitely help the Hawks in myriad ways. Like I think he could help their second unit offense potentially, uh, and he could certainly help their defense. What would it look like with Collins and Philly? I don't know. It's not exactly the type of player that we've been talking about. It's like the kind that they might target or the kind that they necessarily need. But I think it could work. Like a, a Collins and Bede front court could be super interesting. I don't think it would work with Tobias Harris also there, which maybe dovetails with this other idea that's been put out there, which is that the Sixers are trying to tack on Tobias Harris to Ben Simmons. <laughs> In a deal, which is just that's that's like seventy million dollars in yeah. salary. Like that is very difficult to absorb, and just to match. Like it, to to I mean, you don't have to get all the way to seventy million. I think you'd have to get to something like fifty six to fifty eight, like something in it's that range. But like that's a lot of salary. Yeah. Even Kyle together. Kuzma realized how difficult it would be in his, I don't know if you saw his tweet a few nights ago and he, I, I think he might've said 80 mil, but whatever he said, he's like, that's like 80 mil. It's like, he was essentially saying like, you're not moving both those guys in one deal. 
the Hawks could do it. Like they could get there with the money. It's just, does that make sense for them? Like, do they want to be like, then you're really, you're locked into those two guys. I mean, I guess at least for, for just like the two years that Harris is under contract after this one, but like still that's, you're really beholden to those two guys. Like that's taking up a huge chunk of your cap and you know, Harris, Harris is a fine player. Like he's taken a lot of flack this season that I don't necessarily think is like deserved because it's not his fault. Like he wasn't supposed to be the number two option on that Sixers team, but like, yeah, he's been disappointing. He's not living up to his gargantuan contract, which again, it's not his fault. The Sixers gave him that contract. (laughs) What do you want to buy Harris to say? No. I actually uh, don't think this is a good idea, guys. I don't know if I'm going to, you know, if, if if Ben were to leave or be out for, for any reason, if I going to get elevated up the yeah. pecking order, I'm not ready for that. I wonder if, like, <laughs> I'm not even going to go down this road. No, I'll say it. You can't, you can't tease something. You can't tease a wolf on after if, dark like, take. And not- if you were a player who was already just, like, totally set, like, you'd already, like, like signed one big contract early you were just like totally well off and it's like you're just like thinking about okay the difference between uh you know a 120 million dollar contract or like a 70 million dollar contract a a mere 50 million dollars you know i just wonder if there would ever be a player be like you know i'm really worried that if i sign this deal i'm going to be labeled as overpaid the fan base is going to turn on me I think it would be a lot better for my mental health, for my personal brand, if I just take this team-friendly deal and then no one can be mad at me for like not living up to my contract. <laughs> I'm not even going to justify that with their response. Listen, Listen everyone's, everyone's talking about you know Zion taking the qualifying offer. He's going to be a trailblazer. No, the trailblazer is going to be the guy who simply refuses to take a deal that is out of whack yeah. With his actual capability, a literal trailblazer, not a Portland trailblazer. <laughs> In case <laughs> anyone listening trailblazer. is like, "What?" Uh, yeah, Yusuf Nurkic's next deal—that's that's what he's going to do. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. So yeah. I, I think like it, it is worth pointing out that Harris is not a bad player. Like he's pretty good if you can have him in a tertiary role where he's mostly just like a scorer or like a play finisher, and you don't need him to do any kind of playmaking because that's not his game like uh the the problem that you run into is you know it it is a salary cap league and he does make what does he even make like 35 million dollars a season like that's quite the chunk out of the salary cap um so yeah i don't know if if that's what it's going to take for the hawks to get in on the on the simmons sweepstakes i just don't i mean that might be might be a bridge too far you want to Talk a little reddish deal before we get out of here. Please. Yeah, let's do it. I mean, why don't why don't you let me know what you thought about I, it? I mean, I didn't like it from Atlanta's point of view, and I know a lot of people have chimed in and said, you know, it's obvious that they're like they're thinking bigger, they're thinking of something else. The the first rounder they got could be used towards something else, and that's very possible. I don't know. Like, it, maybe that it maybe they already have something potentially lined up. They need that first rounder. Maybe it is related to Ben Simmons. I don't know, but I still think given. It's weird to say because I get that Reddish hasn't panned out completely on the court. Like he hasn't lived up to the upside yet. Um, his efficiency has gone up this year, but it's gone up to merely average-ish. Like he's still not an efficient offensive player. He's an underwhelming defensive player. So from that perspective, I get it that maybe it's good that they didn't like marry themselves to his upside and, you know, 
pull a Daryl Morey type, like, nope, we, we need this for him and we're not giving up. Like, maybe it is good that they were able to say, no, if we can get a first rounder for him now, this is actually like, we should do it. But I still struggle to believe that you couldn't do better for Cam Reddish. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not... I'm not as passionate about this as I usually would be with a take, as you know. Like, I'm willing to admit that, yeah, maybe maybe they did do their due diligence and realize, like, ah, the market for Cam Reddish actually isn't that good. I just, I have a hard time believing that. You know, that even if this is part of a bigger deal going forward, it's going to be part of a sequence of events that leads to something else. I still feel like, but could you not have gotten a little more or done a little better for Cam Reddish in this part of that sequence? Well, I I think a lot of people have have noted the fact that in doing this deal they opened up a roster spot which is maybe a clue that this is a precursor to another deal down the road in which case like yeah i would obviously assume that they did their due diligence and this was the best that they could do maybe this was the best that they could do while also opening up that roster spot right like getting off of um solomon hill in the deal like i don't know but i think at the end of the day like it, first of all it's a good deal for the Knicks, right? Like it's a, a totally worthwhile flyer for them to take. Uh, the Hornets pick that they're giving up is top 18 protected. Then it becomes top 16 protected, then top 14. And I think after that, it turns into two seconds if it hasn't conveyed. Like it'll probably convey, but regardless, it's a it's a middling first round pick for a 22-year-old wing with like some real physical tools and some potentially untapped upside. Now, I would say... I am bearish on that upside, at least relative to consensus from what I've seen from people. But I I don't think they're giving up so much that like, I I don't think they'll regret it. You know what I mean? Like, even if it doesn't pan out the way that they expect, like it's, it's a worthwhile swing. They get another year of rookie scale team control after this one. Uh, You know, maybe they try to work out an extension this off season. Like I wouldn't rush to extend reddish, but uh, maybe if they can work out something team friendly, they'll do that. But if not, you know, if he plays well next year, then they should feel fine about matching an offer sheet for him. So like they're in a pretty good spot with that. So I, I like it from their perspective, but I also like, I, it just doesn't feel to me like the Hawks got fleeced here because I don't really see it with Reddish, like to the extent that like, you know, pulling the escape hatch now and getting a first rounder back for him is like a bad idea. They have all these wings. They already paid Herder. They're going to pay Hunter. It just wouldn't have made sense for them to pay his next contract. So I think it's fine for, for them to do this deal now. And like, like, I don't know, what do you, what do you see Cam Reddish turning into? Okay. He can clearly shoot, right? He's at 38% from three on 4.5 attempts per game this season. And that's the best he's ever shot from deep. So maybe you'd be skeptical of that, but he's also shooting 90% from the free throw line, which I think is a really good indicator there. So Mm -hmm. there's that. He's had some big moments, like everyone will remember how he played in the latter stages of the conference finals against the Bucks. Had a couple 30 plus point games this season. And he does have like the physical tools to be an impact defender. Uh, and I think he's shown some flashes of being that on the ball. I think off ball, it's been always like a, a bit of an adventure for him. Um, but I guess for me, it's like, he even even if he sort of like figures some things out and reaches what I consider his potential to be, I, I still kind of see that player as being like a quality role player and not 
necessarily anything more than that. Like, because he's shown like no facility for inside the arc scoring. Right. And so he's an okay ball handler, I guess for a guy, his size, but he is a terrible pull-up shooter. He's got no touch on his in-between shots. He really struggles to finish at the rim. And he's a non-playmaker. So, like, what is that ability to handle the ball really getting you? You know, like, he can attack a closeout, I guess, which is important. Put it on the floor when you get run off the arc. Like, he gets to the rim at a solid clip, though, again, he doesn't finish very well there. But, like, I think you look at all that, and and I just don't see him as much more than... uh, even a fully realized version of him, I don't see him as much more than like a garden variety three and D archetype. And that's even assuming that he figures out the the D part of that equation. Um, Because right now he's not a very good defensive player. So that's, that's sort of where I'm at. And that's why I don't think, you know, maybe he pans out for the Knicks. Even so, I don't think this is the kind of move that the Hawks are going to be kicking themselves for making a couple of years down the road. Yeah. And, like I said, I, you know, I'm not passionate about the fact that they could have done better. Because I, the funny thing is, I'm not even that high on Ray. I, I actually never have been. Always liked Hunter more than him. Um, I think, I think most people do now too. But Reddish is one of those guys that like other players seem to be really high. Like they really, it's kind of that like Hooper, He's a real Hooper. Yeah, it's kind of that like Hooper versus basketball player thing. But yeah, like that's all part of the reason of why I had it said. Like even though I, on the surface, I feel like, man, could you have not done better for Reddish? When I really think about it, I'm like, nah, actually, you know, maybe it was a good thing that, like, like I said, they didn't pull the Mori and and just say, no, no, we need this for him because we value him like this. And then, you know, a lot of times when you end up doing that, you end up actually not getting rid of him at all, or you lose him for pennies on the dollar rather than what you could have gotten. I do love it from the Knicks perspective, though. Like, I think that to take a flyer on a guy like Cam Reddish in the position the Knicks currently are is a no-brainer. And I also think, you know, whatever that unprotected range of the protected pick is, you're most likely not going to get a player with Cam Reddish's upside. They're most likely. I obviously never say never, but it's unlikely. So from the Knicks perspective, regardless of whether this has anything to do with enticing Zion Williamson or not, I like it for them. Like I, it's so hard to get into any of that because what the hell, like we don't know. And most people talking about it don't know. Look, it, I'm not going to say it's not possible. Like it, it very well could be what they're actually angling. And sure. The like, Zion thing. Yeah, I'm saying it could be. I don't know. But I'm not willing to like there's not really much to discuss about it. I'm saying like, we we have no idea if that's what they're doing. But what I'm saying is even regardless of that, I think it's just a no brainer for them. For the Hawks, I'm kind of like indifferent on it. And I'm more just curious to see what their next play is. Yeah. I mean, I'll just, I'll believe that Zion's going to turn down a max extension and then play out a year and then turn down another max contract and play out another year after taking the qualifying offer, like I'll believe that when I see it, because I just don't think, and we, we talked about this before. And I think like the Pelicans, even if he doesn't come back this season, I just don't think they can afford to get cute with it. Like I think first day of free agency, you put the, the max extension on the table, you just bite the bullet. And I think again, like he he would have to turn that down, go through another season, (laughs) like turn down a max contract again, and take the qualifying offer and then after another season hit free agency. Like it's just, I just can't believe that somebody with, with his injury track record, you know, whatever you want to say about like his endorsement dollars and like, 
I just don't think that that's going to happen. But um, like you said, I still think this makes sense for the Knicks to do, yeah. whether that Zion move is in the cards or not. Right. And yeah, like, even if that was, okay, we're, we're earliest, that would be what, two seasons from now? Yes. Okay. You said you'll believe it when you see it, that he would like turn down the money and that. I'm not trying to be a downer here. I'll believe it when I see it that Zion Williamson's playing regular NBA basketball two years from now. Like, I, I'm sorry, but at this point, that's where we are with him. I'm not even ready to be like, well, you know, in two years, he might actually be a Nick. And uh, I was like, honestly, let me just see Zion Williamson play some consistent basketball without getting hurt before I can even think about anything like that. And I think most teams should be of that mind, except for New Orleans, who, as you mentioned, can't really afford to get cute with it. Yeah. All that said, yeah. good let, move for let the Knicks. Me see Zion, let me see Zion Williamson play some basketball, I think, is a, yeah. a great way to end this pod. Like, that. Just, <laughs> yeah. please, yeah. let me see Zion Williamson play some basketball. Yes. That would that would be grand. Okay, sorry. One more point on Reddish that I want to make, actually, is like, Go for it. it just, I think it's worth considering, like, offensive environment here also, because I, I mentioned the poor pull-up shooting uh, he's been great on spot ups. He's at 42% on catch and shoot threes, but he's going from playing next to Trey Young, you know, in one of the best offenses in the league to uh, a pretty sludgy Knicks team that is uh, devoid of high level playmaking. So you have to wonder if that's going to affect his quality of looks. Maybe you don't have to wonder. Maybe you just assume that it will. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, so, like, I've seen people pointing to the increased opportunity or role that he's going to get with this trade and how that's going to, like, unleash him. Uh, but I, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. Like his points per game might see a bump, but at what cost, you know? That's a very valid question and one uh, that I don't trust the Knicks to figure out correctly, even though I'm saying yeah. it's a it's a no-brainer deal for them. Anyway, yeah, that's all I got. So let me see Zion Williams play some basketball. <laughs> nice. All right. Official fan shout out of the week before we get out of here goes to David Grosh, who reached out via Instagram DMs. Hope I'm pronouncing that right, David, if it's Grosh or Grosh. The underscore D-G-R-O-S-H on Instagram. Uh, he reached out via DMs back in December to say that he loves the pod. He's been listening for over four years. He's basically been a day oneer essentially, when you kind of go back on it. Because he even put in the message that he remembers the old Ernie Grunfeld clown days. And one of our first pods when we were a trio, that's obviously shout out Will Lou. And we were talking about LeBron joining the, the Lakers. So yeah, this Dave's been almost a day oneer, and he doesn't think he's missed a single episode. David, we appreciate that. And we hope that you will not miss today's episode, especially because you're getting a shout out, but any episodes going forward in the future. Thank you, David. Thank you to all of our listeners. And as I say, every episode twice a week. If you are a fan of Pound the Rock, whether this is your first time listening or 217th time listening, as it might be David's, hit us up on social media. We want to hear from you and we want to hear how long you've been listening, where you're listening from, what you like about the pod, maybe what you don't like about the pod, throw in some funny reference if you want. We will get you a shout out on a future show. So hit us up, Twitter, at Joseph Cacharo, at Joey W, email joe.wolfon at thescore.com, joseph.cacharo at thescore.com. Instagram, Joe, underscore, 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 cash. Wolf, you got anything else for the week? Or are we good? I'm tap dry, man. All right, man. Finish that vino, hit the hay. This will go up on Friday morning to all of our listeners like David. And we will catch you all on Tuesday. Until then, for Joe Wolf, I'm Joseph Cachado.
Pound the Rock.